Welcome to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson and Henderson Attorneys at Law, and heard exclusively on News Radio 943 WSC. Each week, your hosts, Eric Cox and Karen Stawicki, welcome successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry to talk about what it takes to succeed, not only in business, but in life as well. And now, your hosts, Eric Cox and Karen Stawicki. And welcome, Low Country, to another edition of It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson Henderson Law. And this morning, here we are, another great Saturday morning. Uh, except unusually this morning, my co-host Karen Stewicki is not with us. She's actually in California with her daughter visiting clients and her mother. So today we have a fill-in guest, one of our associates over at Atlantic Coast Advisory Group, Mr. Paul Carnes. Paul, good to have you sitting alongside me this morning. Thanks, Eric, for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. We have a great show today. And uh, as a follow-up to another great show that we had, uh, certainly, last week. And if you've just tuned in the last couple of weeks, what you'll notice, we have now our new co-host, uh, or co-sponsors with us. That's Henderson and Henderson Law. And each week, we've been kicking it off with a little uh, tidbit. And today, we have Wesley Henderson in the studio with us. So, Wesley, uh, last week, you guys were talking a little bit about business formations and how and why to set up a business. And today... I believe you brought some tips for our guests and our listeners uh, in regards to how to avoid maybe some litigation issues that are out there for business owners. That's right, Eric. If you'll remember last week, John talked about forming LLCs. I'll just remind you, if you you know run a business under sole proprietorship or own real estate or anything else, you can uh, get in an LLC and get some pretty valuable protection for, uh, for fairly inexpensively. Um, but today I'm going to talk a little bit about how you can avoid business litigation. Um, the scary part is, is that anybody can sue anybody for any reason here in America. Um, and you can be sued by customers. You can be sued by other businesses. You can be sued by employees. And the bigger you get, the bigger target you, you are. Look at Walmart. They get thousands of lawsuits every day. So this is something that not only would cost your business, you know, depending on the type of litigation, you know, ten thousand dollars or more in attorney's fees, but it lasts for years. You know, you're looking at a morale drain, a distraction on the business, and these sort of things. And you know, I'll be the first to say there's no guarantee, but there are some some smart things you can do to help your business avoid in being in that situation. So what would got, you say are the top two or three that you would recommend this morning? Yeah, so I've got a, a quick list, and the, the first one I would say is to have you know crisp, clean documents, and you know, particularly contracts. So if you're say a service industry and you do a routine uh, you know, plumbing service, you need to have a good, clear contract. I like to get mine as best I can on one page, and it just spells out the terms of your agreement. Uh, you want the price. You want the expectation of the parties. You want what constitutes a breach, so when, when someone doesn't do what they're supposed to, and what the remedy is, and that's a really important one. It says if you don't do what you're supposed to, this is what happens. Um, I had someone come to me last week, and they were owed a thousand dollars on something they had already performed. But there was, you know, a he said, she said, and and we sat down and talked for thirty minutes or an hour, and you know, he's looking at spending a thousand dollars just to maybe get a thousand dollars. However, if you have a contract in place, it does a lot of things. It's, there's a, it adds a professionalism to the relationship. And there's a magic in writing it down. The chances of people doing what they're supposed to when they sign it, especially if it's simple. You know, I don't like these 10-page jargon-ridden, you know, fine print here and fine print there. Just lay out what your agreement is. Transparency is the name of the game. Yeah, and make it simple. It doesn't have to be, you know, words you've never heard of and herein and what so for and all this. Just this is what you're supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do and get that out there. The second thing uh, you need to get 
in line is your personnel issues. A lot of lawsuits come from employees or former employees in the form of wages, um, discrimination, these things. The way you can go about doing that is, is making sure that your policies and your employment manual match up with South Carolina's laws. There's some things that the, the people do wrong in their employment manuals, for example, that you you can erode your ability to terminate employees um, by not having the statutory language to preserve at will. Um, you can obligate yourself to things. For example, people take these employment manuals or policies off the Internet. They're for other states where they're required to do more than you are in South Carolina. And you have to, when you put it in a policy, you have to then, as a business owner, comply with that. So you want to make sure you're, you know, you're setting those expectations for the employee and you know, setting up your business for success. Um, another thing you want to be really cognizant of is the hiring and firing process. You know, there's an adage that says, hire slow and fire fast. I endorse that completely. You want to make sure when you hire somebody that they fit your culture. If they're going to be a salesperson, take them out to dinner, make sure that you're comfortable with their personality, see how they interact with other people. Um, if they're going to work in the office, make sure they get along with people um, in your office. And then when it comes to terminating, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road on a lot of the personnel issues. Uh, you know, there's a, a thought that people don't fire people that they like. So there's a lot of things you can do to, you know, make sure you're letting these employees retain dignity. And, and we encourage people to consult an attorney before they go ahead and, and terminate that employee. So great tips, Wesley. I know somebody's listening out there this morning, a business owner, they have some concerns, some issues. They need some document prep taken care of. What's the best way for them to reach you guys? They can reach us. You can find us online at hhlawsc.com or give us a call at 843-212-3188. Wonderful. Thank you, Wesley. And we'll be back after this moment with Jira Logistics. You've been listening to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson and Henderson Law. I find the harder I work, the more luck I seem to have. Thomas Jefferson. You're listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson and Henderson Attorneys at Law. And welcome back, Low Country, to another edition of It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson and Henderson Law. And we um, are thankful that you guys get up every Saturday morning, tune the dial to 94.3 and listen to our show. If you heard at the opening of this morning, our guest, our co-host, I mean, this morning, Karen Stowicki, is out of town. So we have a special uh, sit-in guest, and that's one of our associates over at Atlantic Coast Advisory Group, Mr. Paul Karn. So again, Paul Looking forward to sharing the mic with you here this morning. Thanks, Eric. Uh, my first experience on the radio, so just bear with me. Uh, you're going to do fabulous. We're excited to have you, and we're excited to have you for many reasons. One, certainly you're uh, one of our guys over there at Atlantic Coast, but we also have somebody that, uh, or a group of folks that you know very well in studio this morning, and that is uh, the gentleman over from Jir Logistics. And so in studio we have uh, Mr. Mark Newmeyer and Pat O'Connor. Guys, welcome to the studio this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Morning. First of all, thanks for getting up early on a Saturday and sharing your time with us. I know you're busy. Uh, hopefully this will be fun and painless as possible, and uh, we're excited to get to dive in. And sorry, Karen's not here. She always asks the hard questions, so uh, it's going to be probably a lot easier just having me in front of you. One thing I would like to uh, do before we start today, though, is put a kind of a congratulations out there for our community, in particular Berkeley County, because this week Berkeley County was chosen as Volvo's first American factory location. 
uh, and what an amazing testament it is to what our leaders are doing in this community and the growth that we continue to have here in the Low Country. So, what an exciting week it has been! Another great announcement for our economy, and I know certainly with you guys in the logistics world. That probably just is good news for all of us. So, uh, guys, let's start off. First of all, uh, Jira Logistics, if you don't mind, because there may be listeners out there, hard to believe, that don't know what that name means yet, even though, Mark, I remember the first time we met, your goal was to make Jira a household name uh, for every household here in, in the low country. Uh, give us a quick 30-second sort of rundown on what is Jira Logistics. Uh, Jira, we are a third-party freight brokerage firm, um, you know, based here in Charleston, Mount Pleasant, um, and we do over-the-road truckload hauling. Okay, so we're going to dive in, certainly in the second half, to more of the mechanics, day-in and day-out operations of the organization and the business. But as we normally do, we're going to go back in history a little bit and uh, start off with sort of life in terms of uh, growing up, where were you born, where were you raised? What was life like in your hometowns? And, uh, Pat, if you don't mind, we're going to start with you today. Uh, I was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was lucky enough to have uh, uh, my idol and person that uh, I look up to is my father. So it was easy for me because uh, I saw success every day. Um, what did your father do? Uh, he he was in industrial equipment. Um, he was a VP of sales uh, for most of his life. Uh, he worked for uh, Portman, uh, which a lot of people know Rob Portman, who uh, is uh, – Senator, I believe, for Ohio or uh, Congressman want to. And then um, his family's a big forklift company, industrial company, Cincinnati. And then he also worked for Toyota uh, and other companies like that, uh, all as VP. Um, and really, it was how he treated his people that worked under him um, and how they responded to him that uh, really uh, I took home and uh, applied where I am now. And so growing up, siblings, brothers, sisters? Yeah, uh, I've got an older brother. Uh, once again, um, he's in the industry I'm in. I'm in this industry because I saw what he was doing here in Charleston uh, for uh, another large uh, third-party logistics company. And then my uh, my sister, um, she's a sweet one of the family, and uh, she uh, she's kind of like my second mom. Wonderful. All right, so we'll switch gears back over here. Mark, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what life was like. Uh, I was born in northern Ohio, and I was actually uh, raised just east in a little town of Columbus, Ohio. Um, small family. I've got uh, one older brother and one older sister. And, you know, similar to Pat, I, I grew up in a town of 30,000 people, uh, very blue-collar, very hardworking. My father worked seven days a week, and just watching him kind of grind it out, to give us a better opportunity, I, my my older brother was the first one in my family to go to college. Uh, it was very important to my family, to my parents specifically. And I just grew up always feeling like they were doing their part to kind of put us ahead and give us an opportunity that they may not have had. So I, I learned a lot from that. So you were more in the Columbus area. Yes, sir. Pat, you're over in Cincy. That's right. So the big question is, did they have Skyline Chili and Geta over in Columbus? Or is that just a Cincy thing? Well, that's prim- well growing up, that was more of a primary okay. Cincinnati right. thing, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> West Side. That's uh, my buddy, one of my best friends, is a big Cincy guy, so I get to hear a lot about Cincy all the time. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about school growing up. Um, you know, What was it like in terms of... Uh, you know, elementary, middle school. What kind of student were you? Were you more into ath- you know, athletics? What did you do as a youngster? Uh, I was a terrible student, uh, <laughs> and my my mom and dad love to tell you about it. Um, but sports were a big part of my life. Uh, I played basketball, uh, baseball uh, were my two biggest sports, uh, and played it through high school and then college. With in terms of the grades and, and working hard, um, it was really the sports that got me through college. If I didn't play. 
I don't know if I would have went to college. I don't know if I would have got my degree. So in terms of uh, what really carried me through that was the sports. Mark? Um, you know, where we were, there was the, the, the public school and the, and the Catholic school. And my family's very, um, very devout Catholics. My parents were. So growing up, we went to Catholic schools, a small school, very driven by sports and, and uh, academic um, so I learned early on that one, you studied hard and, and we did, I learned from my older brother too, cause he's a great student. He pushed me a lot. And, um, and then specifically football, um, was, was a big deal. So I got into, into football and basketball growing up and, uh, and up into college, didn't play in college, but, uh, certainly heavily involved. Gotcha. So, and it's interesting cause a lot of entrepreneurs we've had on this show, sports has been a heavy influence in their life. And not only just as a youngster, it seems like it's carried through. Obviously, there's something to the competition and how that's carried through as an entrepreneur. So uh, let, let's uh, focus a little bit on high school. So I'm going to come back to you this time, Mark. So uh, high school, uh, again, still probably focused on sports. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know that 16 to 18 range. What were you thinking? Were you serious about the future at that point? Not so much. Sort of what was going through your mind at that time? I think at that time I was trying to figure out, again, having not gone to, no one in my family previous gone to college. College was kind of scary for me. Um, so I was trying to, I knew I was going. The high school I went to happens to have 100% uh, of, of their students go on to college when I was there. So it wasn't. It wasn't uh, an option. It wasn't an option. It was <laughs> where are you going. Uh, so, but uh, to me at that time. The one thing I did do is 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 work during that time from the time I was fourteen to pay for high school. So I took school really serious. Um, I got involved in the in the government side of the schooling too, and the school pushed that. But it was important to me to make the most of that. And then I went to Ohio University in Athens, and just had a great experience there. Moved a w- little bit away from sports, but. Uh, just really learned how kind of how I wanted to live on my own and be on my own. I got out of the small town and got in a, in a, a little bigger community there uh, of kids. So I learned a lot, and yeah, I really developed a lot going from small town to big school. And how far away was uh, Ohio University from where you grew up? Um, hour and a half, two hours okay. maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. Close enough, but not too close. Correct. That's, <laughs> Far uh, enough away, yes, but not too so close. So my right? parents say. <laughs> so, Pat, uh, let's talk about your high school experience and sort of uh, how you left high school and chose to go off to college. Yeah, I, I went to a different type of school. It was public, and it was uh, very big. Our graduating class was 400, I think, 60. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where I was, uh, it, it was baseball. Uh, it was my group of friends, and it was college as an afterthought. Not that I wasn't going to go, but that. Uh, looking at my future was all about baseball and having fun. Um, so uh, a little different between Mark and I there, especially. But uh, another thing, my my brother has been in Charleston for 22 years is what brought our family down here. And I used to go offshore fishing with him. And so one thought I, I had uh, was Coast Guard, and I wanted to do that. Um, but then I kept getting seasick when I was 15, 16, going out with my brother. Small problem, right? Yeah, that, so that might have that might have been a problem for me if I ever did that. But uh once um, schools uh, started reaching out uh, for baseball, that's when I really actually got serious about what am I going to do for a living? Uh, what do I want to do when I go to college beyond uh, the baseball side of it? So, and where did you go to college? I ended up at USC Aiken. And played baseball over there? Yeah. Okay, yeah. wonderful. So that started bringing you more towards the, the South Carolina and coastal area. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to go that way. Um, and, and so 
getting getting to as close as Charleston as possible was also a goal right out of high school. So um, for both of you guys, you know, when you're in college and you think about your experiences there, was there anybody that you look back that maybe had a great impact on you? Was it a coach, a professor that you felt like really gave you some great counsel um, and, and helped you get on the right path? Mine, there was, it was my high school football coach. He he was there long term. Uh, he was there for over 20 years, had a tremendous amount of success. And that was the first time I really got told repeatedly, if you work hard, kind of what I, what we heard earlier, if you know, the harder you work, the more luck will come your way. You can create your own opportunity. Um, I learned a lot from him. I took a lot from him. And then that conjoined with how hard my mom and dad worked to, to give us more, just kind of re- really resounded with me. When I went to college, I worked my way through and 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 got through. But uh, you know, one question I get a lot is is how Pat and I met. And I I would I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't mention that I met my wife in college, um, Molly. And Molly is Patrick's sister, and that's how I met Patrick. Uh, I met Pat about twenty years ago, in fact, and. Molly, I met her my senior year, and it seems kind of late in the game, but I would say she had the biggest impact on on telling me I can. she opened my eyes to you can kind of do whatever you want. Because at the time I was just an accounting degree, and I thought I might be an accountant and uh, never thought really entrepreneurial just being an accountant. And um, she had a huge impact on me. Well, I know one thing. You're going to have a great marriage because giving her kudos here on the air, that's going to work well for you. Putting us in the hole over here, Pat. I just was just going to say, sorry, Allison, it's not going to be you. Uh, thanks for that, boss. Um, you know, mine uh, was my dad all the way through. Our coaches, um, I, my coaches were great, but in terms of thinking beyond the future, it really came down to actually my brother, David. Um, I got a bunch of speeding tickets in college. He paid for them, and then he kept paying for them. Finally, said, I'm not going to be there to pay for these all the time. So, uh, that's when he said, what are you going to do? And this was my uh, third year in college. And and I came visit him in his office uh, when he was working for a, a brokerage company just like ours. And the energy in the office and what I saw, and then I saw a guy who had the same grades I did, who didn't go to school like I did, finished college, and was extremely successful uh, in what he was doing. And so uh, I immediately latched onto that. So – Certainly, I mean, your all's business is predicated, again, on uh, you know being a logistics company. Your brother is kind of where that all came from. How did he end up in the logistics side of things? <laughs> uh, it's funny. My, they, he was looking to stay in Char- or look in Charleston area. Um, it just kind of came about. Uh, the company he was working for or that he ended up working for is the largest in our industry. Um, and so uh, when he was looking to get out of Cincinnati, out of mom and dad's hair, he uh, he found uh, Charleston and found uh, the company he's going to work for, went to go work for, and uh, and and really enjoyed it. Interesting. So it's amazing how that whole thing spirals. Y'all have a great story, sort of intertwined between his brother, yeah, his sister, all that sort of brings it all together. So uh, you know, at- I'm I'm going to add one side note. Um, after I graduated and I moved to Cincinnati, I followed Molly back to Cincinnati, and. Uh, Pat Molly's dad has had a tremendous effect on me. My, my father was working in the oil fields and taught me a lot about how what hard work looked like. And Molly's Pat's dad um, really taught me about a different type of success and a different type of what I could do. And he really actually was the one is why I'm in sales and why I started considering entrepreneurial type 
opportunities because uh, he really I was I was in accounting and I was kind of miserable and he said you know it's because your talent isn't in accounting it's hmm. elsewhere and why don't you get into some different type of businesses really directed some of my thought once I graduated. Great to have people who uh, give us wise counsel and advice in yeah, our absolutely. lives, if we listen. Uh, by the way, in case you're wondering who these voices are that we are listening to this morning, it's that of uh, Mark Newmeyer and Pat O'Connor, who are the owners of Jira Logistics here in Charleston. And you're going to hear a lot more about in the second half, certainly this amazing company. Matter of fact, I'll throw this out there. In 2014, you guys were named as one of Inc. Magazine's fastest-growing private companies in America, and what a great testament it is to the job that you're all doing at, at GEAR. Uh, so let's um, let's talk a little bit about, because you didn't, it's not like we, you know, you, you met his sister and everything took off from there and you started GEAR out of college. It's not that kind of story. You all spent time doing other things before the evolution of GEAR came into play. So uh, Mark, I'm going to come back your way. Let's talk about after graduation, uh, your first job out of college. I, I tried my hand in, in, as an accountant, as a staff accountant, for just under a year, um, and it was pretty clear early on that was not something I was going to be passionate about. Um, and so I actually moved over into the healthcare segment and did nurse placement for a, a, com- a company. I was with them for just under a decade. And were you living up in Cincinnati at that time? In Cincinnati, okay. and I also wor- worked for them out of Columbus for a couple years in between there, but with the same company back and forth. Um and then moved back to Cincinnati with them. Uh, and I, I, it was a service industry. It was placing nurses. They taught us. They, they really invested in their people. I saw them treat their people really well. I saw them start with um, a, a low number of offices and grow exponentially. Um, so I saw a lot of growth, a lot of driving an entrepreneurial spirit on your own. You'd have your own market, and they really taught you how to run an office and run your own market. I learned a lot about business at that company. And so what would you say when you look back, Mark, was maybe obviously you learned a lot. Uh, You spent, what, 10 years in that environment? Just under, yes, sir. Working for uh, a corporate situation. What was the thing about working for somebody else, working in a corporate environment that uh, maybe started to stimulate something inside about that entrepreneur spirit for you? I guess I would say um, I had a lot of success there, and um, I started to – you know, as you do, I think you start to see what else do I want? Is this where I want to be? Is this the best option for me? I also include is this the best option for my family. Um, and is there anything I would do different? And I also just kind of thought like I want to make sure I'm doing the things in my life that I, I want to do and I can look back on and say I'm really proud of. And during my time there, I did think I, I wouldn't mind seeing my own opportunity because I saw a couple – it's a privately held company and I knew the owners very well. And they were great guys, and I saw them succeed, and I it just kind of modeled for me. Hey, you might be able to do this too, because I was having success for them as well. So there was definitely an internal tug that started to come about during that time, for sure. Yes. So Pat, let's go to your side of the story and talk about graduating college. You know, coming out, uh, you've been playing baseball all that time. What were your thoughts on what you were going to do, go do, and then uh, where did you end up? Yeah, I, you know, uh, one of the last games I threw, um, I. I gave up a home run that still hasn't landed, so I, I realized right there and then baseball <laughs> was not, not your future, it. Right? No, no. <laughs> so you knew that uh, Coast Guard was out, yeah. baseball was out. <laughs> what did I need to do? Process of elimination. Yeah, yeah. and so um, when I was uh, – last year before I graduated, I went to a job fair, and I, found, I was looking for third-party logistics because um, I saw it and I, I liked it, and I watched my brother uh, have very good success from it, and he and I are similar in ways. So uh, – 
at this job fair, I found a company that was young, uh, just starting, and uh, got to talk to the person who was actually the owner of the company. And as it goes, I went through six, seven interviews, and that's where I wanted to go, and that's where I ended up, and it was one of the best. Second best business decision of my life. And that was uh, coming to Charleston at that time? No. That was no, Cincinnati, was Ohio. Cincinnati. Okay, so you went back to Cincinnati. Okay. Yep, yep. I was back to Cincinnati. Um, and so at the at the age of no money, living with mom and dad, right? So uh, once, once I got the job uh, with that company, uh, that's where I was uh, for the following 11 years. Wow. And so you spent yep. the next 11 years in Cincinnati working for... Um, logistics company. Yep. Yeah. Which is currently the second, second largest. So again, for you, um, you know, working for this big corporation, um, at what point along the lines did that seed of entrepreneurship start to develop? Well, really, I, I got the, I got the lucky side of it. I got to see a company that wasn't a corporation. There was 26 people when I was there that became, um, a billion dollar company before I left. So I got to see all phases of the business and I had um, great success because of it's a great company um, because I, I as I worked harder, I was the success kept going. So I was getting paid for my hard work. And for me, that I will always take if I'm getting paid off my performance. And so a, as I saw uh, the company grow and myself grow as an individual, um, I started, to, you know, you start to say to yourself, is this something I can do where I get to make decisions that though this is a great company? There's some things I'd like to do differently that, and try. So uh, those definitely start to seep into the head and, and give you thoughts of going out and doing your own thing. So we have about two or three minutes here before we have to go to break. Let, let's talk about sort of both of you at the same time. Seem you're going through sort of the same emotional aspect. Obviously, your friends, your, your brother-in-laws, all this We're is brothers. happening. Uh, brothers. And so, so what, what and how did that moment come together where the birth of Jir came to light? I uh, for I actually left the healthcare company. I, I kind of, and my parents own a small small company, and I thought I would give a, a hand. I'd learned all this. I'd go back and work with them and help them grow their company. And so I went to work for them for just under a year. And in that time, um, they have some challenges. It's going to lock them too. And I, it was more of a production company than it was. Uh, a service company. And so it came clear to me that it was a little bit limited and it wasn't really my expertise. So I came home one night from working with them and Pat was at my house talking to my wife and, and we sat down and I was frustrated. And I just said, I, I, you know, I, I don't think this is for me, but I think there's more. And Patrick said, you should look into logistics. And I saw he had unbelievable success. And so did his older brother. And I thought, well, that's very service-oriented. It is a lot like what I did in healthcare: is the placement of nurses, and now it's the placement of trucks, so to speak. And um, it just started to make sense. And the next day, I, I looked into it. And that's kind of how we started the logistics company itself. And so the birth of, of Jir began in Cincinnati, is that correct? In, Not my down here basement, in, in, in your basement, which yes. is what I love about entrepreneurship is sort of how they begin and where they begin. And I'm sure like most business ventures, it wasn't uh, doors open and everything went squeaky clean. So when we come back from break, we want to talk about those early years and some of the things that you guys experienced going through that. Uh, again, you've been listening to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson and Henderson Law. And today's guest is Mark Newmeyer and Pat O'Connor, who are the owners of Jira Logistics. We look forward to hearing the rest of the story. We come back from this break.
I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Thomas Edison. You're listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisor Group of Charleston and Henderson and Henderson Attorneys at Law. And welcome back to the second half of It's Your Business, presented by Henderson and Henderson Law and Atlantic Coast Advisor Group of Charleston. And this morning, we've had the pleasure of listening to the fellows who own and operate Jira Logistics here in Charleston, Mr. Mark Neumeyer and Pat O'Connor. And guys, right before the break, um, we were talking about sort of, uh, Mark, with you in the regards of the birth of Jira. You're living in Cincy. You're in your basement and kind of coming up with this concept and the evolution idea. So talk about sort of those, the, the start of that, the lift of that as you were leaving that other employment position. Okay. I mean, it, it started out with the idea that logistics was a service industry. And one other thing I want, I always wanted to do was try and help young other young people start their careers. I did that a lot with my previous job, and I really enjoyed that. So I wanted to give an opportunity, and I felt like the best way to do that was the service industry. And to me, the logistics, the third-party logistics is just that. So it fit. Um, when I started, I had never moved a truck. I'd never done logistics at all. But I had family who had done it unbelievably successfully. So I had some resources to ask there. Um, the first thing I asked is, how do I stay? How do I get this off the ground? What's the best way? And the answer was, you know, be safe and bootstrap it and work your tail off. Um, the two, the, the other, the, the, the bootstrapping and the work your tail off I had done for my career. Um, the first part, I didn't quite understand what that meant. So I leaned on um, you know, my family who, who kind of recommend stay safe. The type of things we move now, a little more risky than what we moved back then. Back then it was just kind of move the truck and get your name out. And I will say the first two or three years of doing it, uh, two years probably, was about establishing our name and that we were a viable company because when you're working contractually, people have to trust that you're going to be around and, and, and pay them for what they're doing for you. So the first year or two was about being safe, working real hard to just get your name as an established company that was legitimate. Yeah, Mark, that I'm, I'm sure that uh, most of the listeners are like I am and and wondering what does Jeer mean? Is it where did you get the name from? Um, the name strictly came from brainstorming of, of of what to name this and how to be unique. I felt like that was really important. Um, and one suggestion I had came from my wife. She said, you know, we've got our son, Jack, who, and he's got a couple uh, cousins, and them being Evan, Adrian, I have Amelia, and Ryan, um, and how can we maybe make this about family, because family is so important to us, and and as our story has grown, it's only gotten more important. But my wife actually came up and said, we we can do the Ackerman, and and she came up with Jira Logistics, um, as sounded good, and we were riding in the car, and I said, "Yeah, that sounds pretty good," and we stuck with it. Well, we see really see from the story too, Paul, how much uh, Molly uh, is her influence is there in this company from day one. So uh, we have to certainly uh, make sure we continue to give shout outs to Molly this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pat, along the way, they've had the company up and running. You come into play later down the road. Talk about sort of uh, at that moment when you come in to be a part of the Jira organization. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think there's this uh, belief that uh, these companies like ourselves have gotten gotten some success that it happens overnight and that uh, it, you go from uh, nothing to a $50 million company. And the stage that Mark took that company through is absolutely the hardest stage, uh, one, solidifying the name. Biggest thing is in our industry, carriers won't load you if you're a year or younger. 
without you paying COD? Well, how many brand cash owner, obviously, but how many young companies have that kind of cash flow? Right. And so you have to work off that. And it's, it is extremely hard to maintain that. And then to go get the business uh, from companies that don't know who you are, that see you are brand new. And can they trust you? Uh, and so that, honestly, I, I just want to make sure I'm real clear to anybody that's starting, the hardest is always getting it off and going without fail. So when I got there, um, it had backbone to it. It had a name to it. And so really I had somewhat of the easy part. Mark basically gave me the keys to the car and said, I want the sales uh, taken, organized, and ran, and, and, and get them up to where we expect them to be. Um, so when I came in, we had that financial side to where uh, we could provide comp checks, which is a way of giving fuel early to carriers, uh, quick pay some carriers, and get to the point where we could handle the amount of business that we were planning on bringing on with our cash flow. Um, and so it was a perfect timing for me to come on and uh, start building the business. So for both of you, Jim, I want to speak to a moment to the spirit of entrepreneurship. You know, you both had worked for companies, successful companies. You had successful careers. Talk a minute, and I hate to keep going back, but it's so important, I think, for some of our listeners who are thinking about starting a business, you know, that moment of jumping off the cliff. And uh, like you said, when you came along into it, it was a little bit more along, along the way. But, Mark, for you, you know, you started it from scratch. And so what was that moment like and what were some of the big struggles early on, uh, as Pat just referenced, in getting this business up and running? The first one was the decision to do it. And and uh, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but it sure helped to have my family support, my wife starting and, and people around me support saying, you can do this. And, and uh but the first couple of years was strictly about getting our name solidified, as Pat mentioned, it just be, being recognized as someone that's going to be around and being legitimate. Um, there were things like cash flow. And, and, and then I, we started in 2007, and everything kind of went down the yeah, drain. Here, here and the next we are a year, year, year and a half later right? in one of the worst economies of all time. And it got very, very tight. Um, and, it, and I lived... Um, we, we lived very lean at that time. It, it took some sacrifice, um, but it was just continued work and continued good things. And, and we focused on the level of service we provided to kind of get us through, to get customers. And once we knew once we got them, you know, that we could continue to move them. So I'm going to fast forward to sort of uh, obviously, you know, 2007, here we are in 15, eight years. Uh, you've your growth has been tremendous. You've you've gone from five employees to fifty. You're up to what fifty million or so as a company. I mean, your growth has been amazing. Y'all have done great things in this community. Um, talk about the pains of growth. You know, everybody loves to talk about the fun part of growth, right? But what are the growing pains that you've seen? And what advice would you give other companies, not necessarily in your industry, but they're out there listening this morning that they're on the front edge of growth? What, if you're looking back and giving that advice, what would you suggest? Pat, we'll start with you. Um, one and foremost is always to be forward thinking. I think when people see some success, they want to sit back. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with recognizing uh, your own success, but you can't spend too much time staring at it. You've always got to be looking forward, moving forward. Number two, which um, I'm going to say it comes from Mark again, but we both have been lucky and fortunate. Our support Staff, when I go to our support staff, I'm talking about people who aren't directly under uh, JIR, but we, we talk about uh, our lawyer. We talk about Paul Carnes, um, and we talk about the people outside uh, Dawson uh, Smith through our banking who has made such uh, strides for us to be able to grow at our pace 
and uh, continue to do that without the support that we've gone and found and, and their, uh, their help and their tutelage, uh, it, it, we, we, we would be struggling at times for sure to keep up with our growth. Actually, it's something that at the end of this show we talk a lot about is sort of that third-party advisor, banking, finance, attorney. And so we're going to bring more of that to, to light, actually. So I'm glad you brought that up. Mark, for you, when you look back, those growing pains, what would you suggest? I would – I'm going to kind of echo what Pat said. The The first step for me was to enlist some help. I realized I had reached kind of the max of what I could do on my own. So the the next step, the, the progression in our growth, it wasn't overnight, but it was a progress – like steps for me was getting outside the house, getting space, starting to hire people. And then when, when Patrick eventually came on, I was in a unique position because at that point I didn't meet my partner at that time. I had known Pat since, you know, for 20 years now. And, you know, he's, he's a, you name it. He, he was started as uh, a friend then became my best friend. Then became my brother-in-law and now he's just my brother. It's real easy for me to trust that that's a great partnership. Uh, and I trust him wholeheartedly. That helps. I mean, that that's crucial to me. I will echo that we've enlisted. I think it's important to stay true to who you are. Don't try and change yourself. If you're having success, there's a reason for that. Just be who you are and continue to grow. And what you don't know, enlist quality help. I re- I actually resisted that early on because I thought I can't afford it. I got to stay small. I got to stay um, lean. And I found that the benefits to some of those people, Brian Colley. Paul Carnes, the Dawson Smith, um, just unbelievable. And they've really helped. They've allowed us to have a much bigger pond to, to swim in, so to speak. So that to me is focus on what you're good at and what you're not. Go get someone who is. Great advice. Love that advice. So, uh, by the way, in case you just uh, jumped in your car, turned on the radio, you're listening to It's Your Business, presented by Henderson & Henderson Law on Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston. Today, we have the pleasure of having the owners of Jeer Logistics on the show and been sharing some great advice on a very fast-growing company. Uh, and I have a special guest with me today because Karen Stowicki, our traditional co-host, is out of town. That's uh, Paul Carnes. Uh, Paul, I'm going to turn it over to you for a question. Yeah, Mark I, and Pat, um, one thing you talk about is, is kind of a growing pain with, with growth is you start out as Jeer, J-E-A-R, capital letters, uh, each letter represents something really significant, and you go from five employees to, to 50 plus in such short time. Um, it's easy to have culture and really impart the Mark Neumeyer way or the Jeer way or the Patrick O'Connor way. Uh, when you're when you're lean and you have a few employees and you're touching them every day, how do you scale that? I mean, I, I think that uh, how do you go from uh, five employees to 50 and make sure that the 49th still gets what Jeer is all about. And, and not only they get it, but they act it out every day. Uh, partly that's going to be the, the people we hired to help us do that. Um, uh, so again, we hired our, one of our very first uh, big non-sales hires and I'm always being a sales guy. I'm always against you don't f- feed to the bottom line. I don't know. You're going to have to talk me into it. Uh, Sally Williams was one of our first. She's our HR manager. And at first she was our HR manager and our recruiter and did all our hires. Did all the roles, yeah. She did them all. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, uh, great hire for us. And so when we installed and kind of talked to her about what we want out of our employees and what we're looking for, um, she, she sunk her teeth right into it, understood exactly what we wanted and what to look for. With that being said, the young people that we hired to start out, as brokers, 
Okay, uh, they are current. They're obviously still with us, and uh, they are their their growth and their size, what they've become as young adults to prof- professionals. They have enlisted in our way, the Gear way, um, our core values, and we use them along with people like Sally Williams to feed our to our new people as they come in, and to manage those people on the floor to maintain that culture, to understand that that's the thing we are black and white on. Uh, and it is our culture, and it's so important to us. And I think because we be- we have our most important employees believing in it, the people who hire our people believing in it, and so that when someone takes one step in the gear, they understand the first thing is culture, and that's got to be number one. So I'd say that's one reason why it sticks through from five employees to 52. You know, you guys, I've been around you enough to know that every time we've had a conversation, culture comes up, that word culture. And obviously in any organization in America today, culture is going to drive everything. So, Mark, what do you guys do as leaders of the organization to communicate culture, to make sure that culture is consistent? And then if you have some individuals maybe who aren't on the same page, how do you help them get on that page with you guys? I think, first off, we met with kind of the leaders of our company, the few four or five people, and we really try to define what is our culture and not what we want to be, but what is it? We took a look at, at if we had to describe the company today, what would we say about it? That became kind of our core culture belief. We call it the Jeer way. It's on our walls and we preach it a lot. I believe in it wholeheartedly, but it was really just kind of putting words to what was there. So it was easy for people to buy in because they were already doing it. Um, I think we are very candid uh, in our inside our four walls. I think people have a voice. Our, we trust our top leaders like Sally, like Sherman, a couple people uh, like Stephen who can come to us with, with their ideas and their thoughts, and they're heard, and we listen to them, and we vet them out. And I don't think Pat and I feel like we're always right. We've got quality people around us, and we, everyone gets, gets the voice to be thrown on the table there. And then that kind of cascades down. You know, the, the people that are top salespeople, they can come to the table and bring ideas. They're encouraged to do that. I think giving them the, the opportunity to be heard and then the opportunity that they get at our company is extremely important to me. Interesting. So in the spirit of Karen not being here today, she likes to ask really hard questions. If you don't mind, we'll throw one a little more challenging out there to you. And that is at the top of this is it's the two of you, the owners of the organization. We've had several entrepreneurs on the show partners and, and some have talked about good partnerships they had and some were in bad partnerships. How do you guys keep now? Obviously, you all being friends and brother-in-laws and brothers. And but how do you keep the two of you guys communicating at all times at high levels? I'll take this. Uh, it's real easy for me. Um, when I came on, Mark actually initially uh, said, you know, I want to be a true partner, 50-50. And I said no to that. Um, one, <laughs> he did the hard part. He started the company, got it to the point where we could grow. Number two, he is the owner of the company in terms of the majority owner, and he should be. But the most important part for me was – I had, if I was ever going to leave and go work for someone or with someone and be a partner with them, it had to be someone that one, 100% trusted, and two, um, we could have discussions. We can disagree at all times, but at the bottom line, if he says to me, I want to go this route, I'm following it and I have no doubts. And I'll walk away from him saying, this is exactly what we're doing to the rest of our crew and blind, blind faith. Because if the moment you start questioning your true partner in business, um, to me, 
you got real problems. And so it was just real easy for me to say, uh, this is a person before that I looked up to and what he's accomplished. So it's real easy for me to say, that's who I answer to. Um, and on a, in my honest opinion, that's how you get a true partnership. And one thing that comes a part of that is he also knew why he got me, why he hired me. And that was to get his sales up and going. And I think someone who runs their own company and starts and gets it going like he did, it's hard for them to say, here are the keys to the car. I'm, I'm going to stay out. But you've got to grow our business right. and you've got to keep it safe and, and do all these things. And he did an incredible job of that. There's a lot of people whose pride would get in the way of that. That's a great answer. That's one of the best answers I've heard to that question since we started the show, by the way. Uh, Mark, for you, being on that other side, uh, there's a dynamic there. You, ha- you, you started it. It's your baby. And all of a sudden you have somebody else that comes into an ownership role. How did you acclimate to that? Uh, it started for me with trust. Really, there was only one person I thought ever that I could do this with. Um, in terms on a, on a partnership, not, not so much the growing the company. I knew we wanted to grow. Um, the trust was there. I think the open honesty. You know, we Patrick and I talk multiple times throughout the day about what we're doing. We keep a pulse on our people. But what we do is it's not just um, speaking kind of off the cuff. It's very um, thought out and planned and honest about people. And it's a Kind of to hark on what Pat said earlier, it's forward thinking. It's never just kind of discussions. How does this fit into what we want to be tomorrow and the next day? We talk a lot about our people. We talk a lot about um, the opportunity we can give, where we want to go, but we're always forward thinking. But I think the, the big thing for me, it was easy. To, it, again, it's easy to trust. And so I, I, I would say um, that was crucial for me. If I couldn't trust that person, that would have been harder, but I did. So I don't know that I could do that across the board to anyone is my point there. It happened to be that I had the right person and I could trust. Yeah, Mark, Pat, uh, talk a little bit about, um, I mean, Mark, you're the president of the company. Uh, Patrick, you're the vice president. Uh, what? How did you guys come about role definition? You've talked about coming together with, as a partnership, but um, I mean, if you could talk about maybe a little bit about personality style, what your strengths and weaknesses are, um, as a president, and then Patrick, as you as a vice president, and, uh, and maybe some struggles there too of of how do you stay true to that and and not cross those lines. I, I've always been a, a I consider myself to be a doer. I have a tendency to see something I'd like to do, and I, I end up I, I do it. I don't want to waste a lot of time on it. So I consider myself to be a doer. I'm looking ahead to what I want to do. Um, that's a strength of mine. Um, I believe in myself, and I've got good support. I feel like that's a real strength for me. But I also realized that for me to grow a company, one, for myself and my family, and two, for opportunity for people who we've hired in, to give them the real opportunity, I was limited there. I needed to bring on what I would consider to be an expert, someone who knew how to grow the industry itself and the sales, because I I did not have that. I, I still don't have it on Patrick's level. So instead of trying to do it myself, you know, it was very easy to say, all right, Pat is that's why the, it was so easy to say that the sales is going to be all Pat's baby because he's the expert. Really complimented each other. Absolutely. And it's best, for, it's best yeah. for the company and it's best for the people who are there at the company and our customers ultimately. Unfortunately, we're getting close to, to running time down this segment. I have a question I want to make sure we get in, and that is uh, power partners. You guys, obviously, you, you've grown this amazing business. Who do you turn to? Do you have groups that you turn to? Are there influences from books that you've read? Where do you go get information outside of each other? We mentioned earlier, uh, you know, in terms of Brian Colley as uh, legal counsel, Paul Carnes helping with some of our infrastructure, Dawson Smith um, with Wells Fargo. Fantastic support on all those areas. 
In terms of me personally, um, I specifically do really love um, to read a lot, specifically on how to develop myself. Give us one or two of your favorite books. I love The One Minute Manager. Okay. Growing up, I was always the John Maxwell line of books um, with uh, the, the levels of leadership, um, or the laws of leadership, excuse me. But um, to me, anything that kind of uh, can teach me how to be a better manager and what I've learned is keep it lean, keep it simple. And, and focus a lot of your time on the work and not the meeting and the planning of the work. I mean, get a plan and then get moving on it. Pat, how about for you? Yeah, I, a little different. Uh, books, uh, there are parts of books that I'll read. There's not a specific book that I look at and say, you know, this really fed to my uh, uh, you know, heart of getting smarter and what I can do. What I, I read a lot of autobiographies, what I read on leaders, on um, Roosevelt, on uh, Stonewall Jackson. Uh, great autobiography on him, on what they did as leaders, what they did to um, not only them better themselves, but the people around them. Uh, and, and then also going to um, uh, sport coaches. Uh, I had a great I went, uh, a manager I had had a great question. He said, if you could think of two NFL coaches uh, that are current that describe you best and how you would manage, who are they? And it's, and it's fun to sit back, and I do that with our managers, sit there and think about who would they be and why. It's really the question is why. Why are you like them? Why do you think that? So it kind of talks to you because a lot of times you can see how they are publicly because they're on the media a lot with the NFL. Great food for thought. Unfortunately, we have to go to a quick break. You've been listening to It's Your Business presented by Henderson Henderson Law and Atlantic Coast Advisor Group of Charleston, and we'll be back after this short break. things come to people who wait, but better things come to those who go out and get them. Anonymous. You're listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisor Group of Charleston and Henderson and Henderson Attorneys at Law. And welcome back to our final segment of It's Your Business, presented by Henderson Henderson Law and Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston. And today, we've had a great story shared with us by the individuals who own and operate Jeer Logistics here in Charleston, which is uh, Mark Neumeyer and Pat O'Connor. First of all, gentlemen, thanks for your time, and we really appreciate you sharing your story with us this morning. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, one thing, um, as, you're, as you're running a business, we've established that you guys are instrumental to Jeer not only at the beginning, um, but... How do you account for if Mark Neumeyer isn't there or if Patrick O'Connor isn't there? Uh, I mean, that's probably some of the things the business owners are thinking about. How do you account for that? Well, this is something we took very seriously because, you know, Patrick and I take ownership of our young staff, you know, the people we bring on and their careers. We want to help them with that. Um, and we want Jir to be a safe place um, to work for them, a solid place. And so it was important for us as a partnership to say, all right, if, if in the event something goes on, how can we make sure that Jir continues to be strong and thrive? And um, one thing we did, we worked with Paul specifically on setting up uh, a plan for if something happened. Obviously, that would be tragic, but that Jir and the lives of those individuals continued to thrive right on the path that we've set up because we worked hard to set it up and they've earned the right and, and the opportunity there. It's amazing. We talked to a lot of business owners, certainly in this community. And they're so busy working sort of in their business, they don't take the time to work on their business. And you guys have mentioned over and over in the show how much you've relied on third-party advisors. And that's a great reason why. Is you have a responsibility now. You have 50 employees and an amazing responsibility to them and their families that if something did happen to either one of the leaders, that it doesn't change 
what's the course of time and the course of, of things there. So congratulations, you guys, and working with Paul Carnes over at Atlantic Coast Advisor Group, which we appreciate. Um, in our final few minutes together, I know you guys as an organization and personally are very involved in our community, and certainly philanthropy is a part of what JIR is all about. So talk a little bit about how you all have intertwined that with the Charleston community. Um, well, again, Sally Williams has taken uh, a big role in this, our HR manager and, and, and others, um, Caitlin, who's a, a recruiter. And we have uh, done multiple uh, donations, been part of a lot of groups in terms of trying to not, it's not really about our getting our name out. I mean, that's a side note. And I think a lot of people say, well, that's a great way to market your name. It is. But at the same time, we have a true uh, feeling and ownership towards the city of Charleston. And, and the people uh, of Charleston and where we can help. Um, example, uh, we we did the um, Habitat for Humanity where we, uh, with helping on uh, building a house, tearing it down. And you get there, and this is a Saturday morning. Our core crew pe- that work for us, our salespeople, are 23-year-olds living in Charleston, South Carolina. Hard to get up Saturday morning. Let me tell you, <laughs> and, and I thought that would be a small crew. And we ended up with uh, 10 to 15 um young 23 to 25 year olds in there and they were and, and it wasn't just we're here because they had no idea mark and i were going to be there they were there because they wanted to be there so it was a great thing to see when you guys have uh continued to build a great name in the community and i know that's going to be ongoing any other things on the horizon in terms of uh when you think about charleston the future the economy what are your feedback on where we are as a community and those that are listening this morning uh from two great business leaders well, I'll quickly say, you know, it, we are very proud of, of where we're based. We chose it uh, on our own. We weren't forced to be here or grew up here. We chose Charleston. We love the city. Uh, it's a great place to recruit young talent. Um, and I think there's a lot of excitement and great things going on about this city. So for me, I love being here, um, specifically on challenges, me you know, moving forward I, without getting too far in depth. You know, it's, it's just about, about the growth and staying up staying up with it and being able to to keep up with it. Constant struggle for our leaders in this community to balance growth and infrastructure and make it work. So uh, good to know that uh, that's an issue that we're all still thinking about and hopefully getting good input on. Pat, for you, in terms of the vision of Charleston in the future? Um, Again, it's just providing jobs. I think that's a big thing uh, to the young people uh, that live in Charleston, the people that want to take that chance to leave where they've grown up and, uh, and, and and take that leap of faith to come out to Charleston and find a great company to work for. Um, he and I both take great pride in being able to provide that for them. So I think continuing that pace and, uh, and trying to help grow Charleston from within. Well, you guys uh, certainly have done an amazing job. Congratulations on all your success. We are looking forward to continue to watching Jeer grow and become that household no- name in every household here in Charleston. So thanks again for listening today to It's Your Business, presented by Henderson & Henderson Law and Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston. We hope you have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson & Henderson Attorneys at Law. If you're a successful business leader or entrepreneur and would like to share your success on the program, send Eric Cox an email eric at acagcharleston.com. Join us next Saturday morning at 8 for It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and Henderson & Henderson Attorneys at Law, exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.